Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, Very happy to be joined today by two of my colleagues and collaborators, Darren Schaub, professor of government in, in the Department of Government at the University of Texas at Austin. He also holds the Frank C. Irwin Jr. Chair of State Politics. Holding and not relinquishing at this point. Yes, plopping down. <laughs> he is plopped down in the Irwin chair. <laughs> and, and also, of course, Joshua Blank, Research Director for the Texas Politics Project and a PhD, of course, from this August University under the supervision of Professor Shaw, I might add. That's right. I just sit in a normal chair. Back in the day, yes. Yeah, well, you're in kind it's of a not na- It's not named. <laughs> Uh, So we are here today to talk about, uh, as we record on Wednesday morning, a set of data that we just released from our our April University of Texas, Texas Politics Project poll, which had a lot of stuff in it. So without, you know, too much ado, let's just dive in. Um, You know, let's just start where the headlines are, you guys, I think, Um, and start with abortion. Of course, this week, the news has been dominated by the leak of a what is has been confirmed, I guess, by Chief Justice John Roberts as a draft of an opinion written by Samuel Alito on the abortion case that is pending before the court. And in this draft, at least, uh, the justice uh, is very unambiguous about overturning Roe v. Wade. There's really like I don't think there's any way anybody can read that and not think that, despite all of our uh, uh, speculation before that maybe there would be a more moderate path here. Or that well, the speculation yeah. on the possibility that there yes. would be a more um, that, that, at least so far that, and we should you know all you know caveats abound. Right? Yeah, everybody's you know court scholars and members of the court are saying, you know, look, this is an early draft. It was dated in February. Decision's not going to be handed down for a while. It's and and it's very frequent that these first drafts get revised substantially. It's an, it's an ongoing in order to maintain a majority and yeah. so it's we, an ongoing negotiation process between the justices to receive a majority of the votes right. on the court. And so, so one I draft mean, is a draft, but right. I mean, you know, the, the assumption is that they have at least something of a majority, but at any rate, we don't know that this is going to happen. But that's the backdrop to this. And amidst all this, we had two questions on the poll that spoke to um, abortion, in particular, the scenario in which Roe v. Wade is overturned, and this in turn then activates the so-called trigger law in Texas and other states in which abortion becomes illegal across the board uh, 30 days after the implementation of the law, with no exceptions as I understand the law. So Josh, why don't you start by talking about the results? Sure. Well, to the one that you just mentioned, and we've asked this question four times now, basically going back to when the legislature started discussing the trigger bill 
uh, back during the regular session uh, last year. And we found really consistent results. And this is something I think people should know about abortion attitude generally. We can come back to this point. But, you know, you don't see a lot of jumping around in terms of the distribution of responses to abortion items. So we've consistently found about 55, 54, 55 percent of Texans opposed to an automatic ban on all abortions uh, in the circumstance you're describing. And about 35 percent of the most recent poll, a little under, you know, a little more than a third in support of this. And the rest are basically the, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this. I don't know or I'm uncommitted. Right. So, so, so Darren, you've pulled a lot on this both here and elsewhere, but you know, you've, you know, been around the block in Texas a few times. What do you make of this? Well, the, I guess the macro observation I would offer is that uh, public opinion suddenly becomes really important on abortion because what the what the court is essentially doing, and, and this is pretty clear in the draft opinion, is to leave this up to the to the states and localities, and the states and localities are you know presumably more sensitive to fluctuations in public opinion than the court was in simply saying that Roe establishes a right to privacy, and you know restrictions are therefore uh, subject to strict scrutiny at the very least, like like a lot of other sort of fundamental freedoms. So opinion becomes more relevant. It's it's always been relevant in conversations, and we've asked Roe v. Wade questions and pro-choice, pro-life questions forever. Um, what we do in this poll, as Josh mentioned, uh, we have a particular question about, about the trigger, which is an automatic ban. And yeah, you get about 34% who support, 34, 35% support that, about 54% oppose. Um, we ask and have asked since really the inception of the poll kind of a, a more subtle question derived from a, a question that appeared in the National Election Study for years about under what circumstances, if any, right. would you permit abortion? And we're both I would, smiling, Darren. We're not laughing at you because we were both talking about this well, question and I was talking about how much I, I hate explaining this question. <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, it's, 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 it's both more subtle. And it's, and it's not the underlying opinions. No. It's, just, it's, just right. the, it's just the nature of the question. Well, well, but, it's, but, you know, it's, a, it's the nature of the opinion space here. I mean, this question is both more in some ways. It's both more subtle and not subtle enough. So, right. Anyway. I think I think that criticism is right. And for, for the listeners, it's a question that offers four response categories. On, on each poll, uh, there's sort of a strict um, option, which is by law on the one poll, by law, abortion should never be permitted. And then at the other poll, by law, a woman should always be able to obtain an abortion as a matter of personal choice. So those are the kind of the polls that anchor it. And you get 15% saying never and 39% saying always. Um, it's the middle options that I think frustrate Jim probably, um, <laughs> which is the, the one middle option is the law should permit abortion only in cases of rape, incest, or when the mother's life is in danger. Now that really kind of moves more towards a pro-life type opinion. That's how we categorize it. So oftentimes we'll collapse the never permit abortion or only permit in cases of rape, incest, et cetera. And it's about 28% in that category, right? So if you, you know, you could add those two up as being the nominally pro, pro-life. And then the other middle option is by law, um, the law should permit abortion for reasons other than rape, incest, or danger, but only after the need for the abortion has been clearly established. I think that's what Josh and Jim probably hate. That's um, certainly what I hate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, it's not, a, it's not a clean version of the, or <laughs> ripoff of the NES version of this, but, but it's essentially, these middle two options are designed to get at this notion that, well, I'm not saying always, I'm not saying never. The question is under what circumstances. And I, I think there's a lot of pushback that people, to be self-critical, there's a pushback people could have about, well, is that, is that, second middle position really a pro-choice or is it closer to pro-life? But anyway, the, the distribution is 15 say never, 
you know, uh, 39%, roughly 40% say always. And then 28% say, hey, only in cases of rape, incest, or endangerment. Another 11% say, well, certainly a woman should have a right to an abortion in those cases, but probably some others, but they have to be specified, right? So if you add those middle categories together, you get 39, 40%. Um, so this is a long-winded way of saying we we both love and hate this question because on the love side, it shows that people who think they're just, you know, nothing but strong pro-lifers or pro-choicers are, are overstating things a little bit. Um, but there is a question, if, if, if the fundamental question at hand is under what circumstances should abortion be restricted, we're not entirely sure that we're getting at that properly. And this is right. why we ask the, the more specific questions. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you and I think of it just slightly differently. I mean, you kind of got there where I would get, which is, you know, I think those middle two categories show where generally most voters are. Yeah. And what they show is that, you know, when you kind of take away the way the discussion is, which is sort of, should we always have access to abortion? Should there never be abortion? What you really find is, you know, most people are somewhere and say, well, well, when? Yeah. What, what are you, like, you know, <laughs> what are the circumstances you're talking about, right? And we do have, we have asked other questions. In fact, just as recently as last year, we did a different battery of questions which asked specific circumstances under which yes. a woman should be able to access abortion. I should just say right now, we're saying woman, we're saying man. It's another layer of sort of information yeah. that, you know, like I would just acknowledge that we could say a person and a person. <laughs> I understand why. And I, I, but like for the sake of, you know, looking at public opinion polling, where we're tracking questions over time right now. We're a little bit, we're definitely stuck with the trend on some of these things. So just, you know, if you, if you're listening to this and it's cringing because we're saying, we're talking about this in a certain way, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm talking about the polling results. I'm just apologizing. I'm just, I'm just apologizing in advance about this. But the point is we ask about the situations in which you know, a woman or a person uh, should be able to obtain a legal abortion. We, I think we have eight circumstances ranging from, again, you know, uh, her health or life is in danger. You know, the pregnancy was the result of rape or incest. And we talk about other circumstances, you know, economic considerations, if there's fetal, you know, defects or abnormalities. And what you find is a range of opinions. And so when, when we sort of talk about pro-life, pro-choice, you know, we're looking at, you know, Texas hurtling towards banning access to abortion. And you have a lot of, I think, you know, statewide leaders who are taking this sort of kind of almost premature victory lap and saying this is the most pro-life state in the country. We're going to make it that way. But we ask people to define themselves as pro-life or pro-choice. And we get in Texas repeatedly equal share say pro-life and pro-choice. Now, again, that's because to be just to bring this back around, because we're making a very complicated issue way too simple. And so that's where we end up with something. And when where we, we ask that, we tuck it in the back. After we tuck it in the back after everything else. Yeah, just so what, for the so listeners know, I mean, you, you ask not invasive questions, but certainly questions that assume a familiarity with well, someone. We're not asking about whether somebody has, has had a procedure in the yeah, past. We're simply yeah. asking their opinion on the attitude. But we do tend to put it in the back because we're, we're concerned that people will find it intrusive and, and terminate the conversation, right? So, you know, and so, or it'll, it'll affect their response exactly, to some of the other items. Exactly. As and, jo have. and as Josh mentioned, it's not, you know, from a pollster's perspective, for people interested in public opinion, it's not only the circumstances. Well, now it's the timing. So we've got well, sort you know, of what weeks and then well, what is, circumstances. You know, sir, you know, again, I know that like some of the arguments are underlying a lot of this discussion right now. You know, I know that a lot of, at least on the the progressive side, and especially among feminists, would say that this decision was actually always kind of wrong because they should have focused on, you know, basically the economic determinism and liberty of the woman as a person and not based on some kind of timing. But when you look at public opinion, what's actually interesting to me about it, kind of in thinking about this stuff anew uh, really deeply, is the fact that, you know, that sort of timeline framework really actually meets the public where it is because it actually takes out these extreme circumstances and say, okay, within this time frame, you figure out what circumstances work for you, your faith, your family, because they vary significantly across people. But 
you know, what we're having at this point is, you know, I think it's true in Texas, and if it's true in Texas, it's true in a lot of other places, you're having a policy that's really only favored by between one and, you know, five and one in 10 voters now actually driving the state forward here. And so, I mean, that speaks to this whole question of like, so what are the consequences going to be? Well, that baby? moves us to where I want to go next. Right. So let's, let's do that. So I, I want to set that, I mean, I want to, I want to, I want us to talk a little bit about what we think the implications of this are just so happens to be an election year in Texas. <laughs> and so this lands at a very interesting time. And the party splits on the trigger bill question are interesting. Republicans are more split than one might think. A majority, 57%, support banning all abortions in the scenario of the question. But a third oppose a blanket ban, 34%. And you see that in the party breakdowns on the item that Darren was talking about, where Republicans tend to settle as a plurality, I think, in most of those results, is in you know limited circumstances, yeah, rape, incest, that's correct. threat to the woman's life only. Um, and then another 10% say they don't know. And so... Democrats, not surprisingly, much more unified. 80% are opposed to a ban. Now, as we transition into talking about the election, independents, I think, are very interesting here. 26 support the ban. 57% say they're opposed. Now, that's a pretty interesting position for independents in a campaign, particularly the gubernatorial campaign up to this point, where a lot of the issues at the center of the campaign, and they're at the center because they're being promoted there, but also conditions, that is the economy, the Biden administration, border security, on all those issues, patterns in, among, of attitudes among independents look a lot more like Republicans than they do Democrats. Abortion, very different. So the question du jour, I think, you know, right in this moment is how much of an impact do we think this has in a gubernatorial election? And we'll just throw in there now. We had you know, we did a trial ballot for O'Rourke and Abbott had Abbott up by 11 with, I think, somewhere in the range of, what, about 20 percent, 25 undecided? Not Maybe not oh, quite that, that 16. 16. So, you know, a little less than 20. So, Darren, how does this, you, how does this enter the campaign? Well, I have a, can uh, we know? I yeah. mean, a fair question well, of would be to say, we can. can we know? But. Well, of course we can. First of all, we don't know anything now. Yeah, that ahead. won't stop us from talking <laughs> for 15 minutes on the subject. Uh, my... <laughs> My Democratic colleague, um, Chris Anderson, who pulls at Beacon Research, had a, a quote that said, it's just essentially throwing a hand grenade into the middle of an already tumultuous political environment. And I, I agree with that, although I would say right now the Democrats probably need a hand grenade yeah. thrown into this tumultuous environment. Um, so if you look at the issue profile that, that exists right now, uh, where voters are concerned about the economy especially inflation at higher prices. They're concerned about crime. They're concerned about immigration and border security. Um, you know, they're concerned about the pandemic, um, mask mandates, about uh, public school curriculum. At best, the Democrats break even on, say, handling the pandemic and some mask mandate questions. Um, they're on the wrong side of almost all of those other issues. The wrong side, I simply mean in terms of public opinion. Yeah. Not this is not a policy judgment on my part. We don't do that. Um, go, no, to the LB, nothing, go to the LBJ. Nothing normative happens. Yeah, here. exactly. Um, and in a state like Texas, this is just problematic. Which is that that skew that exists nationally, kind of favoring Republicans on these issues, is more pronounced in Texas. And we'll get to some of the particulars here in the ratings in a minute. So I guess the the summary thing is it can't possibly hurt them <laughs> in the state of right. Texas in yeah. 2022. 
obviously the question is, does it help them? And, you know, the look, in terms of fundraising, in terms of generating turnout, I, I think it's probably going to help. Um, I think that stuff may have happened anyway in Texas late in the game. This probably accelerates things. It may expand the electorate a little bit. Is it the kind of wedge issue that Democrats could use to actually win, let's say some of these Southern districts that are pretty competitive right now? Um, is it something that O'Rourke can use um, to leverage some extra votes against Abbott? I, I'm a little dubious just because of the complexity of how the issue plays in Texas. You know, for instance, I don't have a clue how abortion plays in some of these Southern districts that are where, you know, the question is sort of the Latino vote and, right, and is right. it really moving in a particular way? I, I don't pretend to know. And so it just makes it really complicated. And that's why we pay attention and why we watch. There are no real clues in here that help us nail that down. Right. So I mean, it's I mostly boil, supposition. Well, I mean, well, there, Josh says there might be. Yeah. So. Well, that's, you know, but I mean, it seems to me, you know, you can break that, you kind of break it down into two things you're talking about. Does it change the composition of the electorate? Right. You know, and does it, does it move any votes? Right. 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 right? And I, you know, we've been talking a lot in this podcast and, you know, and everyone else in the world about the power of negative partisanship and negative party identification. It's a real question about whether abortion and, and that, whether abort, you know, this actually, you know, challenges that or all at all. And then there is this question of the independence, but I, you know, I give it up on trying to predict what independents are going to do. Josh, you were, you were sort of, well, so I mean, two things. So I, let me say what they are. So I remember to do it, you know, one, you know, one sort of, you know, thinking about the effects this is going to have, I mean, one, I think, you know, even looking ahead to the election is almost a little too far. I mean, one of the things that strikes me in all of this is that, you know, we've been looking at these abortion attitudes for a, a long time now. It's sort of like, I realize how old I'm getting when I say things, and I realize that it doesn't make me uncomfortable to say, like, I've been doing that for this long. You know, it's like, it's been a while. This guy. This guy, I know. <laughs> I'm looking at Darren going, this guy. These guys are, I should say, I'm much, much, much younger than both <laughs> Darren and Jim, just in case you just want to know. Um so, you know, you've been looking at this, I've been looking at this for a long time, and part of what's amazing about it in some ways is that, you know, abortion attitudes are so are so sticky, they're so fixed, and it's because, you know, people know what they think about abortion. It's not some obscure policy topic, and a lot of times they have a lot of sort of reinforcing views on the topic, right? And so we just don't see a lot of movement. It's not like, you know, Texas passes a law, and then all of a sudden you see a big jump in opinion. But what I would say is, like, this has all happened under a Roe v. Wade framework, right, in which there were some sort of subset, you know, when we're really talking about what if we move the guardrail over five feet, not like, what if we just get rid of it, right? Or what if, we, you know? And so one of the things that I'm kind of looking for the next step before I can really answer that question about the election piece of this, number one, is like, does this like create a seismic shift because the underlying context in which people's abortion attitudes exist is about to fundamentally change? So that's, I think, the first thing we kind of need to answer kind of going into the summer once we get a real opinion. This is still a very insider story. I mean, I know it's like cover the news like crazy, but like when Politico drops it, like you got to remember, guys, like <laughs> Politico. Yeah, it's politi Politico. It's Politico. <laughs> so let's just yeah. like, you know. Me and 10 of my buddies will read it. You know? Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know, one, I want to see what happens. But then two, I mean, the point, so the Hispanic thing is the other point. So, you know, I think with that, one of the things that sort of strikes me is you're right. We can't know exactly what Hispanics are thinking in the border, but we can certainly, you know, in the border region, South Texas, that is increasingly competitive. But, you know, when we look at the distribution of, like, opinions among Hispanics on the abortion issue, it doesn't look terribly different than the distribution of opinion we see on most issues in which there's clear partisan sides. Yeah. Right? You know, Democrats are looking to be at about the 60% mark, maybe a little below. Republicans are at about 30 to 35%. Depends, right? And that's why we look at this issue, which makes me think, you know, again— like the usual thing. If we're talking about the Hispanics in South Texas, the Democrat, you know, the few competitive seats, I don't think this is good for Democrats. 
Because those, I think those, I think those are probably the more conservative, you know, Hispanics because they're, you know, mostly not because they're like some super, they live in a rural part of the state. This is not, you know, some, you know, 29 year old college educated Hispanic who just moved from Laredo to a suburb of Houston who the Democrats are trying to mobilize. I think that person falls on the other side on the abortion issue. So I, I don't, you know, I think it probably doesn't help Democrats down south, but I agree with you otherwise. When the economy numbers are so bad, when the immigration uh, issue is not going anywhere and there's no trust with Democrats to deal with it, to talk about anything else has got to be good, at least in the short run. Yeah, just two quick observations. The, you know, we keep talking about suburban women, especially oh. suburban white women. And just, to, again, putting on our strategist hats here, there, there is a part of me that wonders, is this a way that Democrats might be able to, to leverage some of the momentum that they had largely built around opposition or skepticism towards Trump in suburban Dallas and suburban Houston and those places. Um, the second observation is broader, and that is that the one way the Democrats get more competitive in an environment like this is, is, to Jim's point about kind of partisan affect, is if the Republicans are branded as extremists, as out of touch. Right. And that, that to me is, so does abortion itself matter? I mean, I, I always look for an issue as, as a leverage point by which a broader claim about the election is yeah. made. And that's where this possibly comes into play. And frankly, o O'Rourke has done a decent job of positioning himself as, you know, an outsider running against a, a, a corrupt, out of touch Republican establishment, which you know, I say it sort of sarcastically, but it, it politically, it's smart. In a state like Texas, it's one of the few yeah. ways that I think a Democrat can frame an election successfully. Well, and it raises the question that we've been asking for the last, you know, you know, almost a year now, which is, you know, is the the forceful turn to the right by the legislature and Governor Abbott that really started to really bear fruit about a year ago mm -hmm. in the legislative session, you know, it did it go too far? This really does raise that question and and it raises it not just for democratic voters but i mean governor abbott was pretty quiet about this yesterday i mean you know there was a certain amount of you know we, josh and i were talking about this and it sounds too glib in this but i'm going to say it anyway certain amount of dog catches car here when republicans get to stand up and go hey look we overturned roe v wade and they look behind him and there's not really a parade and now I think you're right, Darren. It's a very crowded issue environment out there right now. And particularly in Texas, do the Democrats have the capacity to use this in a le as a lever in the way that you're talking about? It's an open question. I mean, well, well, see, this is, I, yeah, I, I totally agree with Darren on that. I think, and that's what's sort of interesting. I mean, to your thing, you know, how, you know, how far is too far the discussion we've repeatedly had? I mean, if you, I think on its own, the answer is, no, nah, not that far. It's fine. And part of it is just because a majority of the majority party's voters tend to, you know, either actively or tacitly agree with a lot of these things, even if there is some minority opposition. And that minority opposition within the party is not about to go vote for Beto O'Rourke, right. Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, anybody else right, you can think of. It just doesn't matter, yeah, right. right? But I think the the thing here is, is that, and we'll probably transition to this now, but like in a state in which, you know, the economic numbers are trending in the wrong direction and look historically bad, I'm talking about in public opinion, right? And uh, you know, in a state in which, again, you know, Republicans own the keys to the car. They own the car. They've yeah. been driving it for years. I think that's a point in which you say, hey, look, everybody's, you know, got a problem getting housing. They've, you know, they're looking at their paycheck and they're saying, you know, I can't afford anything. And now that extremism looks a little bit more costly. And so to the extent that it can be mobilized, you know, I think by Democrats into sort of more of a discussion about like, look, there are serious problems Texas are trying to face. And instead, this is what they're doing. 
I think this is a very salient example of 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 a of a topic that can be used to mobilize it. Otherwise, yeah. all these topics are individual. I always point out I was like, you know, and it's just, you know, a lot of people have been asking now, it's like, well, is this gonna change like the way voters think about the election? It's like, well, look, not if the economy's terrible. Right. Right. Not, you know, not <laughs> yeah. not if there's fifty thousand migrants, you know, coming to the border, you know, every week, like then no. But it could be part of something else. The question is, is you know, can you do it? And I'd also say, you know, the electorate rarely uh, rewards nuance. And where O'Rourke is going to want to find himself if he's going to talk about this issue a lot is going to be in a pretty nuanced place. It's going to be hard to stay in effectively. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the overwhelming sense of the, of, you know, the, the dour sense of the economy. We were all talking about that before we went on. I mean, there are a lot of really striking results on this in this poll. I mean, Darren, you were saying you noticed the growth thing. I, I've been preoccupied with that. I mean, but, you know, we've asked this before, but this time we, you know, we asked again if Texans thought that the population growth in the state over the last several years was good or bad for the state. And, you know, the vast majority, you know, we screen this by saying, have you heard much about it? Most people had heard, said they heard at least something about it. And the results were among the most interesting in the poll. Only 34% thought population growth had been good for the state. 40% thought it had been bad. And more than a quarter didn't commit. Um, and this comes as the wrong track number in Texas nudged up again to just over 50%. Second time in the last year. Last time was in August when things were really, really terrible, yeah. just generally. But also the first two times in over a decade of polling. Yeah, and it, right. And 43% said the Texas economy is worse off than it was a year ago. Right. So... Also add to this, you know, asked about their personal economic situation right. compared to last year. Forty three percent said they're worse off. This is the most saying that they that they are worse off compared to last year in the entire time series going back to October two thousand eight. That's so we had forty three twice. So we actually hit this two other times, and it was in the wake of right. the financial last financial crisis. So this is how you know sort of unusual this is in terms of these evaluations. Right, and this kind of does go back to the positional position, you know, where the, the position of the Abbott administration vis-a-vis -vis or Greg Abbott as a candidate vis-a-vis -vis the voters in the state. I mean, the obvious play on this is to blame all of this on the Biden administration and the Democrats because they are running the federal government they're running and because we know that voters tend to blame, yeah, you know, that, hold, yeah, hold the president responsible for this. Right. But I mean, I guess when, you know, you're getting these responses at the kind of state level, I mean, I, I you know, is this a vulnerability, Darren? I mean, I, you know, the economic numbers are fascinating. I, I, in the previous, you know, economic crisis, previous for our purposes being 08, 09, yeah. you know, you had a, a bottoming out and then a, a sort of a gradual recovery. Um, and in polling terms, the percentage of people who said they were worse off or the country was worse off just kind of slowly climbed up in 09, 10, et cetera. And I was expecting a similar pattern now, which is a cratering uh, in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic and the shutdown of the economy. Um, but what you've seen is that, let me just read a few numbers over the last, I guess it's uh, eight polls that we've conducted. So the, the Boundary of this is like October 2020 before the last election. And what I'm giving you here is the net negative on people saying that their family is worse off. So it's minus 11 was the October 2020 number. Worse off than better off. Minus 6, minus 2, minus 2, minus 11, minus 13, minus 17, minus 26 in the most recent poll. Yeah. So it ain't getting better. Um, <laughs> it's getting worse. Right, um, right now within this Texas electorate, all of that is coming down heavily on Joe Biden. 
um, which is if you take the first four polls we did after he was inaugurated, his average approved disapprove was plus four. Now, part of that's uh, because there was a single poll where he was up 11 points. Uh, if you take the last three polls, he's minus 17. So he's gone from, you know, roughly 50% approval to about 36% approval on average across the last four polls. So it's all coming down on his head. And his approval is worse uh, in the issue areas on the economy and on immigration right. and border security. Exactly. Yeah, he's – and there's almost no variance until you get – in other words, Biden's specific issue ratings are at about 33% approval on every one of these sort of bad issues, inflation, immigration, crime, et cetera. They tick up on coronavirus, but in the Texas poll, only to like, yeah, barely. Yeah, right, it, it's only a little bit. the contrast between Biden's numbers handling the pandemic in Texas versus nationally are really interesting, right? That's his best issue now. It's his best issue in Texas, but it only gets him to you yeah, know minus both, three or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. So minus yeah. So right now, it, it's all being absorbed by the Biden administration. Um, is it possible that that the Democrats can focus that fire on specific issues and problems in Texas? Well, of course, what. Abbott and the Republicans are doing is is focusing the fire on uh, Biden policies that make it difficult for. So, in other words, there's this interesting link between um, the border crisis and immigration, which I think is this is odd. It's a little bit of a bank shot, but I think it's sort of insulating um, the existing Texas establishment, the ruling class, the Republicans, basically, from a lot of. Fire about how Republicans, te- the ruling yeah. class of Texas. Yeah, I did. I did. Sorry <laughs> about that. This is now my favorite podcast yeah. <laughs> ever. <laughs> right? But it is, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? That, that, um, you know, the focus on these other issues, like, okay, so what's the narrative Republicans right. are offering? All these people are coming into the state. Some of them undocumented workers, but I'm from crazy places like California and they're making it much harder and they're changing the economic landscape right. in Texas. And so I think that's manifest in the, the, is the also, growth good? But, it, but it's also interesting in that population growth question. We could go, you know, we could do a whole podcast yeah, on yeah. this that, you know, every time I think I've got my head around it, I look at some of the other, I look at some of the tabs or I look at some of the inputs and, you know, there's a lot of different things going on. I mean, like on one hand, population growth, people are saying it's bad for the state, but the place where people are really moving which is to the urban and suburban areas are not where the readings are worse. The readings are worse than the rural areas. Right. They're most negative in the rural areas. So there's some other thing. There's, this is a composite of something that we've kind of. Well, you know. I mean, but, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting, you know, there's think about, you know, sort of exogenous shocks. And you think about the fact that the electorate is facing just a series of shocks. And, it, it, you know, it's not saying that everybody, but, you know, for Democrats, Donald Trump was a shock, right? I and mean, if you want to go back and there's just been these shocks. And it's, it's, what's interesting is, I mean, again, we've been doing this for so long. You know, you go back to the last financial crisis and you looked at sort of the, you know, sort of the housing bubble and what you saw was Texans were, remained bullish on Texas through that whole thing. Now you can say it's the Texas miracle, whatever. There's all these reasons that Texas was a little bit insulated from some of that stuff. But the recovery in terms of, you know, Texas attitudes towards Texas was fast and it wasn't even that deep, right? Uh, and then as we've gone on and we've talked about this before, you know, to the extent that like, you know, partisanship increasingly um, – conditions people's economic views. So you look at, you know, again, that if we've talked about this before, you look at the attitudes towards the national economy. If, you know, when Republicans were in charge, Democrats said it was bad. Republicans said it was good. Second, Democrat takes off, it flips. Now, Republicans say the economy's bad. Democrats say it's good, right? right? So there's a certain amount of going on. This is breaking all of that. I mean, right now, to the extent that you see, you know... Well, I, th- I think it, 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 you and I talked about yeah. this. It actually sort of shows that there are 
There are limitations limits. Yeah. On, on partisan perceptions. Yeah, right? there, are, there are limitations. There are some things out in the world that just punch you in the face, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. And, and so, you can't. Yeah. so then the question becomes, you know, how how you know how well? Can, I mean, I think look, it doesn't change the fact. You know, if you're sitting here listening, you're like, oh, so the Democrats have a chance, which is the question I get all the time, right? It's like, yeah, I don't think this really changes the underlying fundamentals. It just comes down to you know, is Abbott able to? Is you know, Darren said, which I think he's doing a really good job of making sure that the guy who's been in office for less than two years owns the entire economy of Texas when the guy who's been in office for, you know, eight and running, eight and running is just like, well, it's his fault. I think he's got, again, he's got a lot of reasons that that should work. I think just in terms of the nature of politics, nature of partisanship, the way that I think, you know, midterm elections look in a bad economy, all that stuff. But to say that there's not a vulnerability there looking at this data, and especially if it continues to go in that direction, I, you know, I think that would be overstating it. And we should also say that those, those track numbers have been very, I mean, yeah. they're, they're moving up and down a well, lot. Well, they're moving up a lot since, because, again, there's a lot of- In, in the period that- Darren Yeah, and there's a lot of about. inputs. That's the thing, because those track numbers are moving up because it's like, well, are we responding to, like, you know, COVID? Are we responding to, like, the fact that we're out of COVID or that we're back in COVID? And then it's like, well, what about inflation? And it's just this like- fights at my kid's school. This or... fights at my kid's school. Yeah, exactly. A couple, right. There are a couple of really interesting pieces that I'd refer our listeners to on this. One is- uh, the work of Kathy Kramer on rural resentment, which I think of continually in Texas. So, I mean, you guys are right that the the movement is largely coming, especially to places like Dallas and Austin and, and Houston. But I, I think that actually fuels rural resentment even further, which is look at what's happening. These these crazy Californians are moving into these cities. And, and the feeling of rural resentment is that the you know, disproportionate amount of attention and energy and resources go to the cities at the expense of these rural areas. I think that's only increased, which is evident in the in the opinion. And housing data. prices are going up. And there. housing prices, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the, the the second kind of large piece was in the Atlantic recently, under the heading I don't remember the author, but it was um, you know why are people um, why do people think are so angry about the economy? And at first, I thought it was a completely clueless question, but it was actually why are people so, why people are so angry about the economy? And it pointed out that. Inflation is different than unemployment. Unemployment affects directly 8 12%. You could take it up to 25 You're talking about people who fear losing their job or know somebody's lost their job. Inflation affects everybody. And, and so the, it'll be interesting, as Joss suggested, I don't think we've had this kind of inflation in Texas. We've had gas price fluctuation since the early 1980s. So our models about the relationship between the economy and politics are, are instructive, but maybe not Positive. And there are a lot, I mean, you know, I was saying this to Josh and, and another one of our younger colleagues when the inflation thing really started becoming a public issue and we started seeing it, you know, I mean, you and I are just barely old enough to remember the last time there was real inflation and it was a real issue. For most people, it's not only they're feeling it, but it's also something they've never felt before. Yeah. They've never experienced. So well, I just add, it's also exacerbated by the fact that other people, you know, point this out is, you know, Wages, real wages have gone, been going down for a long, long time, right? And that's something that people don't notice on like a weekly trip to the grocery store. But I think this is where, again, some of this disruption, you know, it gets, I mean, as Darren's point, I think this is how this disruption gets expanded so much further. You think about the things you could link into this, you know, you get like some Amazon workers are unionizing all of a sudden, yeah. right? And all these things that are going on, it's like, because there's a lot of stuff going on. And I'll just point out one question we asked was whether people favored uh, increasing the federal minimum wage, which we've asked a few different times. We find in Texas about 65% of people support raising the minimum wage. This is pretty consistent, actually, with what we found over time. The only interesting thing is that, again, talking about disruption, a majority of Republicans have opposed it in each of the polls we asked previously until this time. This time, a plurality of Republicans, I think it was 47-40, supported raising the minimum wage, which shows – I mean, Jesus, 
shows you there's something going on yeah, here. Some of the fundamentals are beginning to shift a little bit. Right. So, so before we run out of time, I want to go to you know to each of us. Um, you know, pick something out we haven't talked about that you thought was interesting in the poll or that really struck you. Let's start with you, Darren. Yeah, I think uh, we, we always ask at the uh, outset of the poll, what's the most important problem facing the country? What's the most important problem facing the state of Texas? And I was struck by the uh, juxtaposition of those results this time. And the, the question about what's the most important problem facing the country, uh, unemployment, uh, not unemployment, sorry, the economy and inflation slash rising prices, number one, 28%. Um, Immigration, border security, 10%. So an 18-point difference. So a lot of talk on Republican-leaning news organizations. Fox does this a lot, talks about immigration, border security. It's important, but it's dwarfed by the economy. In the state of Texas, these numbers are almost reversed. 34% say immigration, border security is the number one issue facing the state. Uh, The combined inflation economy numbers are 14% really striking and I think speaks to the que- the point that Josh and Jim have been made making about how, what a difficult issue environment it is for the Democrats which is you know if you're if you're begging to move the focus away from uh, you know immigration to the economy um, that's that's a tough issue environment for Democrats yeah that's I think that's a good way to, that's a good use of those of those numbers how about you Josh well, you know, there's, there's there's so much on this poll I and mean, we've only barely scratched the surface we did a lot of stuff on you know the the situation in Ukraine. We did some on immigration. We did uh, a number of questions on you know discrimination and perceptions of discrimination in society. And some new questions about uh, trans, you know, people's attitudes towards transgender uh, uh, people, education, and so on and so forth. You know, I'll just, I guess, let's see. What should I point out here? There's so many choices. I think I'll go to. I think I'll go to the immigration because we didn't talk about it. And it is like the big one of the big issues here. You know, I think one thing that's sort of important to to point out here is that you know. Immigration attitudes in Texas are pretty, you know, they're 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 a, an elephant in the room. I think around anything that we talk about, uh, you know, and and I think you know what we find is that this is a very obviously an incredibly complicated issue. But we we tend to see that you know not so much in the public opinion landscape, at least among you know again the ruling party, as Darren calls it, uh, <laughs> right? So we ask you know how you know do we does the U.S. allow too much you know legal immigration, too many people, too few, the right amount? You know, sixty one percent of Republicans say too many. Right. Uh, whether or not we should accept, uh, you know, refugees from South and Central America, 64 percent of Republicans said we should not. Uh, not as a little bit different in terms of Ukrainian refugees. I'll leave that for another time. Eighty three percent support the immediate deportation of undocumented immigrants. Fifty four. Yep. No. Fifty one percent support uh, increasing border security spending. They say we're spending too little on border security, even though we keep spending more and more and more. And so, you know, when you think, I think to some people, there's sort of an extent, I mean, going back to this, well, how much is too much and everything? Well, there's really no indication that there's any limit to what would be too much when it comes to dealing with the border situation in Texas, especially among Republican voters. And if you think about what's driving Greg Abbott's strategy around a lot of this, you need to look at these numbers because, you know, he is speaking really to the core of his constituency with most of what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to flag the policy side of that on border security, really, and just say, you know, among voters who say they've heard at least a little about, we didn't want to use the term Operation Lone Star, but who have heard about the state, what we call the state's deployment of police and military on the border, to paraphrase, 57% still support that. Yeah. Right. Only 31% oppose it, you know, near unanimous support, 90% among Republicans Um but also, you know, com- going back to the point about independence and abortion, a plurality of independents also support this policy. Very good policy for 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 the governor. Um, 
And thus far, we're not seeing much negative response to the increase in spending. And I'm, again, I'm like a broken record on this, but I mean, it's, to me, it's just stunning. If you count the extra 500 million that we transferred from other agencies in the state to border security last week, we're now at about $4 billion. That means that in one biennium, we have roughly, to, we'll be generous and say tripled, but we've actually closer to quadrupled the expenditures out of the state budget on border security. And I've been talking to groups, you know, in the usual on the circuit, the last, you know, and I mean, I, you know, open offer, can anybody point me to a budget increase of that magnitude in one budget cycle in Texas ever? I've had no takers thus far. And that's just, you know, I mean, you know, it speaks to, you know, the political value of this issue, as you were kind of saying. Um, but it's really kind of, you know, amazing. And we had a little bit of an increase this time, at least from the last poll on, you know, the question about is the state spending, when we asked, is the state spending too much, right amount, too little on border security? The too much went to 30, which is as high as it's been, yeah. but still just at the outer edge. It's been roughly between, you know, 15% the very first time we asked it, but that was in 2019. It's fluctuated between 15 and 30, but mostly between about 24 and 30. So it's not like there's been a big sea change. I haven't looked at the tabs that closely. I suspect it's just a movement of even more Democrats as people are taking partisan queuing with all the coverage. I mean, the you know, the other... The other counter response of the governor talking about border security as frequently as he can and, you know, experimenting with new policies is that this is much more, you know, in the, in the public eye, triggering more criticism and probably triggering more partisan responses. But again, but as long as 90 percent of Republicans say it's fine. Oh. Well, and then I say, you know, and then what are you as better working? Say, no, I actually want to like I want to decommit our resources from the border. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to work. So. Right. I mean, that's yeah. That's not going to happen. Certainly between now and January. But I mean, but that dollar figure. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> is that population times inflation? I don't. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. It's a lot. You know. Yeah, it is. No question. Okay. Um, well, this has been fun. I said we'd go over a little bit. We went over some. Um, but I want to thank Darren and Josh for being here. Very fun. This is always one of the funner things we do. I should flag that you know, without getting into too many deals, Ross Ramsey retired last week from the Texas Tribune. And I sent Ross a, a note this morning that it's, you know, it's very strange to be rolling out a poll without you being involved in it one way or the other, you know? So um, I want to flag that for Ross, but we've had a good time. Happy retirement, Ross. Thanks to you guys. <laughs> yeah, Ross ain't listening to this stuff anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Ross is also older than me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thanks to you guys. Thanks to our excellent crew here in the audio studio and the liberal arts development studio at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, there are tons and tons and tons of results, downloadable files. Um, I mean, literally hundreds of graphics, if not Th thousands. Thousands of graphics. Easter so eggs everywhere. Easter eggs, yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, Easter 24 7 this week on, on this poll that you can find all of those results and, and, all the documentation and material at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. You can go to the blog page or to the latest poll page to find all that kind of material and much, much more. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another Second Reading Podcast. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.